Hey everyone, welcome to Basecamp, where we distill the science of wellness and human potential into actionable steps so that you can live your best life. I'm your host, Pat Dossett. As a former Navy SEAL and co-founder of Made For, I believe that with the right steps, you can achieve more than you ever thought possible. Let's do this. Hey everyone, today we talk about the science of forgiveness. We are entitled to hold whatever we want inside, but just because we have the right doesn't mean doing so is always right. When it comes to the burden of unforgiveness, holding on imparts a very real cost on our physical, relational, and mental health. In letting go, we create space to unlock our full potential, especially if that person we have yet to forgive is ourselves. My guest today is psychologist Everett Worthington, one of the world's leading researchers in the science of forgiveness. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Cheers. Welcome to Basecamp. Today, we're joined by Everett Worthington. Everett, really honored uh, to welcome you today to Basecamp and very much looking forward to this conversation on forgiveness and the power of it. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you, Pat. Appreciate you asking me. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, maybe the best place to start um, is what is forgiveness? Well, uh, forgiveness is actually a couple of things. It's, uh, in fact, there are two different definitions for it, and both of them are, you know, separate but related. So one is to make a decision about how you're going to treat a person who's hurt or offended you. So I'm going to not uh, seek revenge against them or retaliate, and I'm going to treat them as a valued and valuable person. So so that's a decision about your behavior. It's not really behavior because uh, I can make a decision to treat a person differently, but if he were or she were to die tonight and I never got to carry it out, I still would have made a decision to forgive. So the second type of of forgiveness comes about because I can make a decision to treat a person differently and yet, um, you know, feel resentful and bitter and hurt every time I think about what was done to me. And that suggests that there must be a second kind of forgiveness which we call emotional forgiveness. So emotional forgiveness is replacing negative, unforgiving emotions like resentment and bitterness and hate and anger and and anxiety with positive, other-oriented emotions like empathy and understanding for the person or sympathy or compassion or, or perhaps even love for the person if if this is say my wife uh, and uh, somehow she has deeply offended me so those two types of forgiveness are different they're not two halves of one type because you could have either or you could have both and they are related to some degree but not hugely related people separate them in their uh, life all the time you, you said a, a few things there that I, that I'd like to drill into, and um, and even before that, and sometimes I recognize that I jumped the gun, but I know you know a big part of this is why did why do we even focus on forgiveness? Why does forgiveness matter? And and you talk about in your in your research and um, a number of the health effects that come from just forgiveness and the and the costs associated with the burden of unforgiveness. Could could you maybe talk a little bit about that? And then I want to come back to some of the points around the definition of forgiveness. Yeah, uh, so forgiveness happens because we experience uh, what feels like an injustice to us. And and that creates a kind of automatic computing in our mind that that we call an injustice gap. So that's like this, you know, this large gap, if it's a big hurt or a small gap, if a person doesn't do much to me. And then there are a lot of different ways to reduce the size of that gap. And forgiveness is one of many ways to reduce the size of the gap. When we forgive, there are a lot of benefits that come along to us as a forgiver. So there are relational benefits. 
because if I treat my this person differently that I'm in a relationship with who's hurt me, they can see that I'm treating them differently and they may start to treat me differently as a result. And so, so there are relational benefits. There are also mental health benefits when we forgive. So if, if I forgive, that usually cuts down on what's called rumination, which is just kind of playing the event over in the late, late show of the mind. It gets uglier and uglier with every rerun. And so that, those, that rumination is like the universal bad boy of mental health. It, it, rumination is related to anger disorders, to anxiety disorders, to depression, to obsessive compulsive disorders, post-traumatic stress disorders, psychosomatic disorders. So, you know, rumination is not good for us. And so if forgiving can kind of close it down a little so that I don't feel that need to keep rehearsing the, the negativity, then I don't ruminate as much. And I experience a lot of positive mental health benefits and benefits to our psychological well-being. The third type of benefit is a physical health benefit. And uh, physical health is affected in many ways when I forgive. Um, because if I'm feeling unforgiveness, that's a stress reaction. And so my entire body is cranked up with this fight or flight uh, or freeze type of, of stress uh, reaction. And that is going to do a lot of things to our body. I can unfold what goes on to, uh, physically uh, if, if, uh, if you're interested. I can do that at length forever. So uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, so, I, I, yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I mean, I think it's great. So you, you lay out there's, there's uh, relational benefits, there's psychological benefits, there's physical benefits. And we know that, you know, it reduces the risk of cardiovascular stress, but our immune function, all of these downstream effects of not holding on to this um, burden of, of unforgiveness. So I think the, the opportunity is immense. Should we choose to, should we choose to engage forgiveness? And I think when you talk about this definition of forgiveness, a few things stand out to me, and maybe we can drill down into these. But the first is that um, it is a choice that we have. It's not a duty that we. It's not about what others expect us to do or, or something that we have to do, but rather it is something that we get to do should we decide to do it. That we have full and complete agency and ownership of this action, um, which I think I think is something that's that's really um, really important um, when you're thinking about this topic. Is that also something that that you? that you would agree with, or well, I think I know you agree with it, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it is a choice. I don't have to forgive. Nobody deserves forgiveness when they hurt you. You know, so that's something that I altruistically uh, decide to give to the person. And my motivation in doing that is can be very complex. It can be that well, I, I want all those benefits for myself. You know, I want to feel better. I don't want to carry this grudge around. I want to feel better physical health, mental health, uh, relational health, and even spiritual health. So, so I can have, you know, these very complex motives that are self-interested. And they they work whether whether I uh, want those uh, do it for that reason or not. But I can also have a motive of kind of blessing the other person, of relieving them from some of the guilt or shame that they might feel from having done something terrible. Uh, and so, so that altruistic motive actually has more effect of producing, you know, lasting forgiveness in my life than seeking to forgive because it does bless me. It's like a paradox, you know, if I'm trying to bless the other person, it blesses me more than if I'm trying to bless myself. So, uh, yeah, well, I think it's 
it's it's it's so interesting that in your two buckets of forgiveness, this decisional, which is more of a, a matter of course and deciding to forgive and letting go of angry thoughts, is is one side of it. But then the emotional forgiveness, which you talk about, which is really can you replace these negative emotions with positive emotions, sympathy or empathy or compassion? But that it's in that that second bucket of emotional forgiveness where you derive the most benefits. The the most opportunity it comes from that, and I think. In in our conversations, one of the things that struck me about this whole thing is that um, this is very much an internal act that you can forgive, and it doesn't require the participation of someone else, nor does it necessarily imply that there has to be reconciliation and complete trust and a resumption of you know relations the way that they were in the past prior to an offense. But um, I just, I find that particularly fascinating, this idea that this is an internal act, one that we control, and it doesn't require the participation of someone else. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that and what's going on there? Yeah, I, it it indeed does not require the participation of somebody else. But if the other person is willing to take responsibility for what they did, if they're willing to apologize, if they if they seek to make amends, all of those things help. Remember, I started talking about this this injustice gap. So I feel this amount of injustice that was done to me. So if a person takes responsibility for what they did, I'm like, oh, that was hard. So that gives me a little bit of justice back. But if they apologize, oh, you know, apologies are hard to do. That gives me a little more justice back. So what's happening as the person makes amends and, and does these reparative acts, it, it it's not about forgiveness, but it's about making the conditions easier for me to forgive. And so, you know, we're, we're in an interpersonal interaction here, and we both have a, a role in this, and, uh, and, and we can contribute to reconciliation, which is what happens between us, as opposed to forgiveness, what happens inside the person who was hurt. If, if you find that... Um you're doing the work to forgive someone, um, but you can't reestablish trust or um, you can't, for whatever reason, um, they can't be a part of that process. Can you still unlock and uncover the benefits um, that you that you describe with emotional forgiveness and replacing, um, setting down the burden of unforgiveness and replacing the, the negative emotions with positive ones? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, even if the person is, you know, is trying to hurt me again and again, I can still forgive them. It's just gets harder because they're keeping increasing a, a huge injustice gap. But if a person has died, you know, say my father died, and then I decide I want to forgive my father, well, I can still forgive him. He can't do anything to repair the relationship or make it easier because he's dead. But I don't need that. I don't need to have an interaction with him to forgive. I can literally forgive anything in principle. In practice, people can make that injustice gap so big by just continuing to hurt me and hurt me and hurt me that I can't keep up with the injustice gap. And so in practice, that can get tall enough that I can't get over the wall, basically. Got it. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. When I, you know, when I hear about forgiveness and I'm, I'm sure everyone that's listening, we all have, you know, maybe different injustices in our lives. And, and oftentimes we, we can look at those injustices and say, you know, this is a unique situation or that's nice. You know, the, the, the theory and the science and the approach or models of forgiveness are nice in theory, but in practical application, it's my situation is unique. And I, I think that, one of the things that I find so powerful about your work and your story is that after you had started doing this research and had been in this for a number of years, you were actually forced to lean into it. I'm wondering if, if you might be able to share a little bit of that story with um, with our listeners. Sure. Uh, yeah, I started to be interested in studying forgiveness by doing couple therapy. And, uh, you know, because most couples 
would get to the place where forgiveness would have to be dealt with. Uh, and so then after doing research on it and practicing in, uh, in clinical psychology, um, we had already written a book on forgiveness, actually, with a couple of my students. And, uh, and then my mom was murdered on a, a, a New Year's Eve night. So uh, it was a home invasion that went wrong. Uh, and so there she was at home. Uh, she was elderly, I think 78 at the time, and, and she didn't drive. And she had gone to bed early because, and she had a little hearing uh, disability. And so uh, here was this darkened house on New Year's Eve night with no car in the driveway. And apparently that was just too tempting for some young uh, uh, person or persons. And they decided to break into the house and steal whatever they could. Well, they broke in successfully and then were ransacking the house. And apparently that waked her up finally. And she came out into the hall. The guy must have been standing there. Uh, unloading a bookshelf and trying to, you know, find valuables within the books or behind them. And, uh, and you know, she must have confronted him. And he had broken a window to get in with a crowbar. And so he assaulted her with a crowbar and, and hit her repeatedly until she died. Uh, so, so there was, um, you know, this uh, giant, offense uh, now and uh, you know done to my mother and I the next day was called up by my brother saying you need to come down you know mom's been killed and so we went down there and landed in the midst of that uh, <clears throat> uh, that murder investigation and you know they took us over to the house where I grew up and and it was trashed because of the the searching and and then there was of course blood you know at the scene of the uh, at the murder and um you know so i i just uh you know was devastated by this uh so was my brother um that night we were we got together with my brother and sister and myself in the mike's back room and i remember being so angry that i pointed to a baseball bat against the wall said i wish whoever did that were here i would take that bat and i would beat him you know to death i said he wouldn't last 30 minutes my brother said he wouldn't last 10 minutes if i got a hold of him my sister said oh, i'd make him last an hour so uh, you know we were all pretty cranked up about this and uh so that night i was so you know, uh, angry and upset that I couldn't sleep. And I was staying at one of my uh, relatives house down there in Knoxville, Tennessee, and just spent the night pacing around the room. And about three o'clock, I, I was like, hey, this is this is going nowhere. I need to do something to you know change things. And so I sat down on the bed to write a eulogy for my mom because I'm the oldest and I was going to give a, a, a eulogy for. And as I thought about, you know, what a life matters that she never got over a hundred miles away from her home, except she was in World War II as a, as a, a, a an army nurse. And, um, you know, but other than that, never got over a hundred miles away from her home. And it's like, so what does a life matter? And as I thought about, you know, all that she had poured into her children, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I just uh, was so angry. And I started thinking back, like, wait a minute, I've spent the whole day here and I have never even allowed myself to think about forgiving. And so I thought, well, let me kind of work through that. And we had developed uh, a, a kind of a program to help people forgive called Reach Forgiveness. So I started to think through those steps of recalling the hurt, but recalling it in a way to try to think about more empathically toward the person. In other words, what might a young man 
in the cold in New Year's Eve night out in the dark looking at this house, what might he be thinking? He probably was thinking, I'm going to create a perfect crime. Uh, you know, that's going to be great. There's nobody home. I'm going to waltz in. There's no risk. And I'm going to um, take everything that's valuable. And then when he got confronted, you know, he probably thought, you know, this old woman is destroying my perfect crime. And not only that, she's looking at my face. I'm, I'm going to go to jail. And so, you know, with that, you know, experience, he probably then out of fear and anger reached out and, and struck her repeatedly. And so, you know, as I thought about that, you know, I suddenly flashed back to earlier that night, standing in my brother's uh, back room and pointing at that baseball bat saying, I wish he were here. I would take that bat and hit him in the head like he hit my mom in the head until he died. And, uh, you know, when I when I thought that, I, I just came to me, wait a minute, whose heart is darker here? This kid who's responding out of fear and anger? Or me, a mature man at that point, 48 years old, who had written books on forgiveness, who had counseled people about forgiveness, who was a Christian, who had practiced forgiveness, and yet I'm willing to take a bat after 24 hours and hit him in the head until he died. I thought my heart is darker than his. And yet I knew that I could be forgiven for that. And, and I thought, well, if I can be forgiven for the darkness in my heart, so who am I to hold this against this guy? And I was able to forgive. So, so that, you know, there was forgiveness. I knew if he got caught, he still would have to face the justice system. You know, I knew that my forgiveness did not absolve him from guilt in any way, but it did release me. And maybe it had some kind of spiritual uh, aid to him at some point in ways that I can't see. Thank you for uh, thank you for sharing that um, story, Everett. Um, I think it's just it's so real and so tangible and so visceral for people to hear the practical application of, of your model and this reach model, which has been tested thousands and thousands of times. And um, I think over 20 uh, big, large, large studies have done on it and it's proven out to be an effective model for applying forgiveness. And to hear you walk us through the steps of that uh, as it applies to such a very real and personal story, um, I think just adds a lot of weight to it. So maybe, we can just go through the model again one more time for, for everyone. Um, and you started to go through the steps, but that there are really five steps to reach. There's the recall the hurt, empathize with offender, give forgiveness as an altruistic gift, commit to forgiveness with a public act of some sort, and then hold on to forgiveness. Um, and you were able to lean into that during this time, during this obviously just horrific um, injustice and and we're able to come out of it the other side, setting down that burden of unforgiveness. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, the, you know, I, I could go immediately through the recall the hurt, empathize, an altruistic gift. The committing, you know, is going to take a while. You know, I had to commit to it. You know, I had to decide I wanted to tell people about it. Uh, I committed to myself. That's important. But, you know, I was able to say to my wife, you know, I have forgiven this man, uh, this young man. And then at other times I was able to talk with other people and say, yes, I've forgiven this person. And then 
that public statement helps me to hold on. It's, it's because it's something I've done and I can always look back to what I've done. It's not just residing invisibly in my head. Um, Ever, I know this story continues, and, and I think this is maybe the other side of forgiveness that it maybe is talked about less, but I think is, is equally as if, maybe if not even more important, but it's one thing to forgive someone else. Uh, there's, there's one other party involved. And, um, as you, as, as in our conversations, you just, you described how in forgiving others, you just have to deal with the injustice of one offender. But, um, when it comes to forgiving ourselves for things that we've done, um, and directing forgiveness internal, um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and the complexities that come up when uh, the forgiveness is directed towards us, and then uh, maybe continue the story and, and walk us through how you were able to apply that to the, the second part of the story. I think forgiving ourselves is, is actually more complex than forgiving other people. And one of the reasons is because we're kind of coming at things from two points of view at the same time. You know, I am the person who did some wrong, so I'm an offender, but I've offended myself, and I am also someone who's trying to forgive. So, so there's this double uh, kind of double whammy of uh, forgiving myself. So it, it gets more complex. Also, <clears throat> you know, I, I can't just haul off and forgive myself. You know, if I've done something really wrong to my wife or, you know, I've been in war and, you know, I've done something wrong, uh, you know, and seen things done wrong and not stepped up and and, uh, and said anything, you know, then uh, if I just say, oh, I forgive myself, no problem, I'm not really forgiving myself. I'm just letting myself off the hook. So, so there's whole, a whole level of having to have responsible self-forgiveness. And responsible self-forgiveness is going to involve, you know, making things resolved with whatever I call sacred. So, you know, for me, that's making things right with God, uh, you know, but for some people that might be making things right with humanity if i feel like i've done a crime against humanity or with nature if i feel like it's you know a crime against nature but whatever i hold to be sacred i have to get back into harmony with that uh that uh sacred object but it doesn't end there of course i've got to uh also make things right from the social damage that i've done and that social damage is very complex because if I hurt someone, I may not just have hurt them. I maybe have, you know, just harbored this, you know, rage against myself for doing wrong. And I may have poisoned my relationship with my wife or my kids. And so the social fallout of this are, are is widespread. So I have to kind of think about how do I repair the social damage that I've done as a result of this? And so I make my best effort at doing that. And then third, I, I probably have inflicted some psychological damage on myself. So in the Veterans Administration now, uh, one of the hot topics is, is moral injury that people, when they witness or do things that offends their own moral standards, they inflict a moral injury on themselves. And so myself and Brandon Griffin, a, a former doctoral student who's now in the VA system, <clears throat> is working with trying to you know, create a program for treating moral injury and one way being self-forgiveness. So, so there's this whole preliminary to, a, to trying to forgive myself in terms of getting things right with God, getting things right with others that I've heard, getting things right with my own psyche. And only then can I now apply this reach forgiveness model to myself where I make a decision to treat myself generously like I would treat somebody else who had done the same thing. 
And then second, to work through the five steps to reach forgiveness. And that may take me quite a while to work through those steps. But even then, boy, you see how hard this is. Even then, it's not done because I may be able to forgive myself for doing something wrong. But often it's even harder to forgive myself or to accept myself as someone who would do such a thing. So somebody who, say, yells at his kids, he might be able to forgive himself after working through the damage done to his wife and his kids and, and to God. And, you know, but, but he says, but I can't believe that I'm the kind of dad who would yell at my kids in a really hateful way. So self-acceptance becomes a second problem tacked on to self-forgiveness. And turns out, often that's harder than even forgiving myself for a particular act. And then, of course, I have to just commit myself not to do this again and to, to live a life that, uh, you know, is worthy of self-forgiveness. So, so self-forgiveness is hard. And like you say, the reason I came up with this model is because actually I, I went through a, a period of self-condemnation that uh, lasted a lot longer than my period of trying to forgive the young man who killed my, my uh, mom. Um, my brother had discovered my mom's body. And so he was really traumatized because this was a, a brutal beating, you know, of, with a crowbar. And, uh, and there was blood everywhere. And he looked right down and saw her body. And so, you know, he had a post-traumatic stress a reaction to that and a post-traumatic stress disorder. And struggle with this for 10 years. And I, I remember 10 years after uh, my mom was murdered, having dinner with Mike, and we got to talking, and he said, you know, I can't get these pictures out of my mind. You know, I, I they just kind of intrude at, at these weird times, and, you know, I rehearse them all the time. I have nightmares about this. You know, and I'm just going down looking at the criteria for diagnosing post-traumatic stress disorder. And he's like a textbook case that I'm, I'm numbering off. And I said, Mike, you know, if it's been 10 years, and you're still struggling with this, you need to get some counseling. And he, you know, this is going to kind of show you about what our dad's view of counseling was. You see, my dad was an active alcoholic and was mandated to go to counseling once as a result of this. And he did not think much of the counselor. So he kind of came back and poisoned all of us against uh, counseling. Uh, they don't do anything, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Mike kind of bought into that. So when I said, Mike, you need to get some counseling. And he goes, I'm not going to any shrink. So he says this to his shrink brother, right? So it's, probably gives you a little hint about what our relationship was like growing up. I, I was the older brother. And, and so, you know, not to be uh, put off, I said, well, Mike, you know, if, if you've been struggling with this for 10 years, you can't get over it. You really need to do something different. And uh, I think counseling would help. And he goes, well, I'm not going to any blankety blank shrink. I'll be, he didn't actually say blankety blank. And, uh, you know, and I don't want to hear any more about it. And so I, a, a therapist with 30 years of experience at that point, I understand the concept of resistance, you know, and I know how to deal with patients who are resistant. You don't keep going head on at them, you know, you kind of back off and give them a little space and then a little later come at it at maybe a different way. And uh, did I do that? 
no, not at all. You know, suddenly when he says, I don't want, you know, I'm not going to any blankety blank shrink and I don't want to hear any more about it. I suddenly became an 18 year old older brother, just flooded with angry hormones. And so I go, well, whatever. And I didn't say anything else about it. Well, it turns out that, uh, you know, within three months, uh, Mike committed suicide. And so here I was, you know, knowing better, knowing how to deal with this, and yet seeing that I had just let my adolescent hormones, and I was like, you know, 58 at the time, I wasn't really a serious adolescent anymore, although my wife may have disagreed with that. So, but uh, at any rate, uh, you know, I, I was pretty much devastated by it. And so I started trying to think about how do I forgive myself? We had done some beginning studies on self-forgiveness to create a kind of a, a program, but I saw it was totally inadequate based on my own experience that, uh, you know, and I realized I had to, I had to do things like get things right with God. And, and I had to like seek to make some kind of repair of social damage that had been done. And, um, and then, you know, deal with my own psychological damage, uh, which I didn't realize that at the time turned out to be really a lot of spiritual disengagement. So I'm committed Christian, but that pretty much had just said, you know, I'm angry at God. Didn't say that intentionally, but I, I said it. And, uh, and I didn't find that out for a couple of years, even after I had forgiven myself for, you know, my failures. Um, when I found that out, I was at a, uh, <clears throat> I was at a conference and I heard this talk by this psychoan uh, psychoanalyst woman. And, uh, and, you know, when we finished up the talk, you know, we went back to the hotel and we happened to arrive at the same time and got in the elevator together and we happened to be on the same floor. And so we were riding up in the elevator and she said, you know, if I understand that a couple of years ago, your brother committed suicide, How's that going? And I said, fine. Well, now, this is just a kind of little hint, you know. If you ever find yourself trapped in, a, in an iron box with a psychoanalyst, <laughs> and they ask you this emotionally loaded question, fine is probably not your best response, you know, because that prompted her to just kind of, stop and go really and then she didn't say anything and I kind of felt the tension build and I went well you know pretty fine uh, you know I mean kind of fine I, I struggled a little bit and, and as I started to talk about this it was almost like I was watching myself from outside and, and realizing I had allowed myself to get angry and bitter at God as a result of this. And I didn't want to do that. And so I was able after that conversation to go back to my room and just say, you know, God, I, I want to, you know, have a relationship again with you. I don't want to be cold and distant. So, so there are all of these different parts to self-forgiveness that, you know, are, are not quite as complex in, in just forgiving somebody else. Um, so I, I find self-forgiveness a, a very challenging thing. Uh, in Australia right now and uh, at Adelaide is uh, a, a couple of people who are studying self-forgiveness are some of the um, the best uh, scientists in the world studying it, uh, Michael Wenzel and Lydia Woodyot. And uh, they, they are looking at the way that that forgiveness meshes with the wrong that was done and the person trying to 
forgive themselves and how those things go into go and influence each other. Because if, if this person is able to be forgiven, then they can more likely forgive themselves. It's so, it's, again, it's so powerful to hear you share that story and, and how you leaned into this model of making things right with the sacred, making things right, making things right with the other and the relationships, uh, and then making things right with yourself before engaging the reach model. And, um, and that, that, that you were able to find again, uh, a path to setting down the burden of, of unforgiveness. I'm curious you know, whether it's, whether it's self-forgiveness or it's forgiveness of others, I feel like sometimes there's this sense that if we, if we hold on to unforgiveness, that that's almost like, um, it's almost like the, uh, a shield that we carry around, um, that it is something that we need to, it's a cross that we have to carry and that cross, uh, not in a, in a religious sense, but that that is almost like our armor that we carry around that protects us from, ourselves and maybe being more emotionally vulnerable, or if we try to set that down, then the vulnerability becomes too much. And I, I'm curious how you, you know, what you might tell someone that that's struggling with this idea of like, Hey, I have to hold on to this burden because it's my armor. Um, and uh, anytime, anytime I try to set it down, it puts me into a place of extreme vulnerability. That's discomforting. And um, you know, how, what would you tell someone that's, that's, that's experiencing that? Well, there's a couple of answers to that. One is I can make a kind of a glib answer to you because this is really, you know, a safe space for me because I'm sitting in my office. But if I'm really talking with this person, there's no quick answer to that. You know, uh, the person is defending something that is threatened, uh, which is their sense of self or, you know, self-esteem or, you know, maybe they have fears that if they you know, turn loose of this grudge, then they'll, you know, fall apart or something. So, so it's more, if I'm working with the individual, I want to have a conversation with them over time and not try to persuade them to, you know, that, that, that to forgive, but rather to help them explore the idea of forgiving. Um, but I, I think that the kind of the glib safe answer is that, uh, you know, and, and kind of where you, that you would like their thought process to go is that um, it feels like a, uh, a safe place to be behind the shield of unforgiveness. That shield is really heavy. You know, this is like, you know, in the history of war, this is like a hoplite shield that weighs 30 pounds and you're carrying it around day in and day out and day in and day out. And, and it's going to take a big toll. So it's safe for the moment, but it, it is going to have its toll. And so to be able to just lay this thing down and and be able to put this this grudge behind me, you know, that's risky. It requires a lot of courage to do that. But in the end, that is going to lead to a lot better health uh, overall for me and probably for the relationship than holding on to this grudge. Now, I may not value that relationship that I'm holding this grudge against, but but maybe I do kind of value it, and yet it's you know mixed in terms of I'm I'm angry and resentful, but I have to be I have to go to work with this person day in and day out, and so I see them all the time. So you know, so it's it's going to have a lot of of uh, much better consequences if I am able to work through this and, and lay it down. That, that word exploration seems especially powerful because it it takes some of the weight off of 
trying to tackle this in one fell swoop or to to say, hey, there's only one way to do this and uh, and you have to be very dogmatic about it and this is the time frame that it has to happen on, but rather recognizing that there is value in this process, that there is light at the end of this tunnel and explore. And you know, curiosity is something that we've talked about as being a very powerful mindset to um to lean into at various times. Um, I, I just, I, I really like that, that word exploration there, but um, coming back to the, the power of forgiveness and the, the affirming nature of everything that you've shared. So that's, um, that's, that's really good. Yeah, I, think, uh, I think another thing that, that I might, you know, that might help with a person who's struggling is if they know that people don't have to forgive there are many, many ways to deal with these injustices and grudges that are good ways to cope with these. There's, you know, turning it over to God for divine retribution if I want to, or, you know, to relinquish it to God. There's, there's trying to get some measure of justice into the situation. There's forbearing in which I say, okay, life is too short, you know, but for the good of the group, I'm going to just put this behind me. So that's a forbearance. Or I could accept it and move on. Acceptance is where I just say, life is too short. I'm just going to accept this and move on. I'm, I'm not doing it for the group. I'm just doing it to accept it and move on. So, so there are many ways, and there are psychological ways, such as minimizing, you know, how much harm was done and, you know, trying to reframe things. And, you know, there are just many, many ways that people have that are valid choices about how to deal with injustice, where forgiveness is only one of those. Eric, just, you know, one question, what's the, what's the difference between acceptance and forgiveness? Does, does one imply, does one imply, skipping over the the emotional forgiveness that you've talked about or yeah maybe you could expound on that a little bit because um to accept and forgive seem very different but i'm not sure i can pinpoint the the difference per se well acceptance is really all about me it's i accept this you know i choose to let this go you know forgiveness is a double edged sword you know if i forgive I'm really holding the other person as as guilty, you know, if I don't say that, you know, you did something wrong, you know, I choose to let that wrong go, you know, then you, you can see that that's that's a different thing. That's why when somebody, you know, has hurt me and and I say to them, well, I forgive you. Sometimes people just get furious and they're like, you can't forgive me. You're the one who did wrong. You know, where do you get off forgiving me? You know, because they can see that in order to say, I forgive you, I am telling them, I believe you did something really wrong. But if I say, I accept this, you know, then that's about me turning it loose and letting it go, you know, and it's, you know, whether anything happens with them, it's like, I don't care. doesn't matter. Not in the picture. It, it, you know, one thing that, you know, just to, to be, to be totally honest, I think one thing that I struggle with, with forgiveness is this reconciliation of justice and empathy and holding both of those at the same time. And I know, you know, especially I'm a, I'm a father, I've got young kids. I, I can't imagine someone hurting one of my children. And if they did, there would be a very strong sense of, you know, wanting to seek justice and maybe even justice in the form of vengeance. Um, and maybe that's one way to reconcile uh, an injustice gap. Um, I'm curious if there, you know, how you think about holding justice and empathy at the same time. And then two is like, is, is vengeance actually, a, 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 is that a something that's been researched and studied? And I, I think I could, you know, from my own personal experience and seeing, you know, in 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 the military construct and in in war, the vengeance I've always seen imparts a cost on the individual that's executing it. Um, it's it's just 
it's not a matter of if, but when that that comes, but I mean, you're the expert here. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think the important thing about justice and forgiveness is that they are not in the same ballpark. Forgiveness is an internal experience. Justice is an interpersonal or societal experience. And what that means is they're not opposed to each other. So I can forgive the young man who murdered my my. Uh, you're my mother. And yet, you know, I can still want to see him come to justice. You know, I don't, I'm not going to inflict this justice on him because I give up my right to vengeance when I forgive my personal right to vengeance when I forgive. But, but, you know, he's going to have to face the justice system. If he gets caught, he will have to be tried. You know, now what happens is, I have this injustice gap, and that's internal, right? So it's on the same ball field as forgiveness is. So instead of justice being opposed to forgiveness internally, my my, uh, forgiveness is able to reduce the injustice gap. They work together, you know, I get our justice you know, makes it easier to forgive, not harder. So, but you're right in terms of vengeance or retaliation or retribution, you know, that is a perfect way for me to get rid of my injustice gap. But the interpersonal costs are terrible because I feel my pain more than I feel your pain. So if I think you hurt me with three units of pain, and I say, well, I'm just going to pay him back three units of pain. You know, so I give you what I think is three units of pain. It doesn't feel like three to you. It feels like five. So you say, wait a minute, I hurt him with one unit of pain. He thinks it's three, but I heard him with one. He gave me back five. Oh, my gosh, I owe him four. So you need to pay me back four. So do you see that this creates basically a blood feud, you know, or somebody gets so injured that they can't respond back. And then I have guilt and, you know, all kinds of you maybe shame and moral injury and other things that is that cost you talked about for the person inflicting uh, a vengeance on on somebody else. So so it's, it's very costly to inflict vigilante justice, which is vengeance. Everett, I, I know you went to South Africa in 1996, shortly after um, a, a a church bombing there that uh, left, I believe, almost 100 um, dead or, or wounded. Um, I'm wondering if you could share what you took away from that experience or what you saw from those people that were that were directly affected by that bombing. Yeah, it's a St. James Church massacre. And basically, it was a worshiping service and a, a, a kind of a radical unit of the Pan-African Congress put uh, through uh, explosives into this active worship service, uh, injuring all the people. Well, I, I was privileged to meet with some of the people who survived that. And um, and basically, they all argued, you know, that well, we don't hold any, um, any unforgiveness toward these people who did this. Except there were two different spirits at the way that people said that. One is like, because I've turned it over to God and he is going to zap them, you know, in other words, an appeal to divine justice. And so it's like, well, I'm not bothered because I've gotten rid of this. The other uh, bunch of, uh, you know, group of people basically said, well, I've turned it over to God and uh, not my problem. God can deal with this, you know, just not mine. So. So the the thing that, you know, I got out of that was, you know, people c- 
could forgive, but you know, I was struck by the alternative to forgiveness of those folks at using turning it over to God as a coping mechanism for the the uh, hurt and unforgiveness and injustice that they experience. So again, this just kind of reinforces the idea that there are a lot of different ways that we deal with injustices in our life. There are good ways and get the injustice dealt with. I don't have to forgive, um, so, but uh, forgiveness is a good way. And, and whatever whatever allows you to, to set down that, that burden of uh, injustice, um, in, in your words, is, is a worthwhile pursuit. I think, you know, one maybe final question that I have is, and it's very easy for us to think about, like, what are the big violations or the big injustices in our lives. And, you know, we can, if we point to a bombing or we can point to a, a crime or we can point to some point to something that happened to us in childhood, it's maybe easy to see those, um, those big injustices. But I'm curious if you have any thoughts on maybe the smaller injustices that accumulate over time. And when we think about, you know, we're talking about this topic of forgiveness and maybe we survey our lives and we say, well, you know, I've, I kind of just moved on and I don't really sit on anything. I don't hold grudges. And uh, I'm not sure this is something that I need, but um, I feel like all of us can appreciate that um, there are maybe things that we do that we feel like um, are small through our day or things that maybe our, our partners or, or people in our lives do that are little micro injustices that we allow to build over time. And I'm wondering how, how we should think about that, how maybe we take and take an inventory and find ways to, to revisit some of that and, and process through that. Yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. I think it requires us to really reflect on, you know, our, our experience, because if it's not a big thing, I'm not inclined to pay a lot of attention to it right away. And yet, I can carry a hundred pound, you know, stone cut out of a quarry in my arms and strain under the burden, or I can carry a hundred pounds of rocks in a bag in my arm and it's just as heavy and straining my muscles just as much. But I don't notice each rock as it goes in. You know, I only notice it kind of when I get to the place of saying, wow, I don't know why I'm so cranky and negative and stressed all the time interpersonally and why I'm so short with people. And then, you know, that can be our trigger to say, you know, maybe I need to reflect on my life and reflect on why I feel these this negative, you know, emotion and, you know, and kind of anger and hair trigger. Uh, emotionally so so then you know whatever the person's way of coping with things are maybe it's journaling or maybe it's prayer or maybe it's sitting in a chair and and meditating and you know think just meditating about a particular state that i'm in but whatever their coping mechanism that that trigger can get us started i think Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Um, if you were to leave uh, the listeners today with with one final takeaway or, or one maybe nugget that you would want them to internalize and get into action around as it relates to forgiveness, what would what would you say? Well, maybe the, the two most important things that I think of is there are a lot of ways to manage those injustices and they're, they're valid, you know? And so pursue what works for you and mix and match, you know, and forgiveness may be one of those. And if forgiveness is one of those, I have lots of free resources on my website that people can work through from a two hour, do it yourself workbook to a, a seven hour do it yourself workbook to groups to and they're all free everything on the workbook is i mean on the website is free except the books they won't let me give those away otherwise i would but uh at any rate uh i think those are the two things to to think about you got a lot of choices here and if you choose forgiveness there's lots of resources 
they can help without any cost. Amazing. Amazing. Well, um, thank you for, uh, thank you Everett for being here today and for, for the work you've done over the last several decades and, uh, continue to do, um, it's important. It matters. And, uh, I know you've, we've, we certainly all benefited from hearing you today. Um, you know, my, my final thought on today is, is really, I guess, kind of a, maybe a simple one, but it's, it's this idea that we're entitled to hold onto whatever we want inside it. Maybe the ultimate act of, um, uh, of agency, but just because we have the right doesn't mean that doing so is always right. Uh, and in fact, when it comes to unforgiveness, holding on imparts a cost. It's not a matter of if, but when. The greater the injustice, the longer amount, the longer amount of time that we hold on to it, um, the larger the cost that um, that we have to pay or that gets imparted on us. So, um, in letting go, uh, we create space to unlock our full potential. So, doing this work is important and it matters. And um, I think it matters most, maybe, and maybe even especially if the person that we have to forgive is ourselves. And so I know we talk a lot about it at, at Made for this idea of being your own best teammate and being the first to extend grace to yourself and self compassion. And in many ways, I think that is an act of forgiveness. So, recognizing that we're human, that we're imperfect, but uh, we're also exceptional, exceptional and, and valuable, and um, grace can go a long way. So, um, Thank you all for being here today. Wish you all the best. Have a great, uh, have a great rest of the week and uh, look forward to talking again soon. Cheers, everyone. Thank you, Everett. Thanks. Thank you for spending time with us today. I hope you learned something, but more importantly, I hope you find a way to use what you learned to get into action and bring out the best in you and the world around you. If you enjoyed this episode or would like to learn more about the work we do at Made For, you can find us online at getmadefor.com. If you like our show today, please subscribe and leave us a review. We look forward to sharing more with you soon. Until next time, cheers.